Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Not sure if you heard, but Brock Purdy, the starting quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, played football just a couple days ago. Yeah, I, I, you probably haven't heard of him, but he's like a quarterback. He throws the football, whatever. He played football on Saturday, and uh, the 49ers' defense has been called into question by a lot of people. Steve Wilkes, especially, from what I'm hearing, and I think we're going to talk through that as well. Also, we got to talk a little backup quarterback situation and a few other things on the docket, so stick around. We'll get to it next. Welcome back to Last Second Sports, where we are giving you our take down to the last second. And we've got a special Monday show with a familiar face, Rohan. How you doing, my man? I'm good. I mean, uh, I wanted to do a show with you this week. Glad we could uh, hammer it out today. And I mean, it's a, a nice way to start the week, talking some 49ers. And um, yeah, glad to uh, be on with you today. Much better talking about the 49ers after victory. I know it's only preseason, but... Watching the way the game played out against the Raiders, like a zero effort game, was so frustrating to watch. Last week or just a couple of days ago, that game was much more fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I mean, especially I was able to take it in live, you know, um, it was funny. Uh, I was probably three sections away from the infamous brawl that I'm sure everybody has seen now on Twitter. Uh, everyone was like, it was the fourth quarter Trey Lance was in. Everyone was standing on their uh, on their seats, just looking at the brawl instead of the game. Um, but you know, overall, the game was a, it was a good one for sure, and glad to see the 49ers bounce back. The aura kind of change and get a win out of it. Yeah, absolutely, definitely was. I see the chat is already jumping. Guys are at each other's necks. That is a great start. Great start, fellas. <laughs> All right, let's talk Brock Purdy. I mean, that's definitely the headline, right? Starting quarterback for the 49ers, plays football for the first time since injuring his UCL and coming off of surgery. Everybody's heard training camp reports, but that is very different than actually watching the player play. Now, it wasn't a lot, and there wasn't anything spectacular that he was asked to do, but I would still say, at least for me, Rohan, that it was exactly what needed to happen. I didn't yeah. want them going out there to try to make him look amazing I still think he had a, a pretty damn good throw to Jennings, if I do say so myself. There was a, a hit that he took where he was sacked. Another one where he rolled out. He probably had a touchdown to Jennings. He turned that down, ended up getting hit. And as soon as he took that second hit, I was like, get him out of the game. We've seen enough. He was efficient. Move the offense. That's exactly what you want to see. Do not get him hurt. Play him more next week and just move on. What did you think of Brock Purdy's debut for this season? 
after the game, uh, an article that just released, I put out three quarterback observations. And my first one was about Brock Purdy. It was how Kyle kind of eased him in. And I liked this strategy. I thought I liked it live. I thought I liked it after watching the film. And when you look in it, what you want Brock Purdy to do is just look confident and be able to move the ball downfield. That's exactly what he did in his first drive. And I think had the, you know, had it there been a few tinkers um, when they got to the red zone, as well as the fourth down opportunity, you likely see seven points out of that drive for the 49ers. But Brock Purdy, four of five for 65 yards. It's not like the statistics matter at all. It doesn't matter. But even if it's short throws, whatever it is, you wanted to see Brock Purdy look confident. You wanted to see him look, look as comfortable as he was last year in the offense. And that's what he did. Like the way Kyle Shanahan operated, a couple of short passes, right? Get Debo involved on a screen, Ayuk involved on a slant. But I also like Brock Purdy, you know, um, pushing the ball downfield on the one opportunity he really got to, the ball to Juwan Jennings, where you thought he could have just dumped the ball down. Instead, he pushes the ball downfield, trusts his arm, and he was able to put it at a place where his receiver could go up and get him. I liked uh, what I saw from Brock Purdy in his return. Yeah, definitely. What do you think about the – and I know that I watched it live, and I said, hey, let me let me watch the All-22 before I give an opinion. After watching the All-22, he definitely did have a touchdown opportunity to Jennings, um, but he was still looking downfield. He was probably two yards behind the line of scrimmage, could have made that throw. I would have liked to seen him make that throw, even if it was picked, to be honest with you. I just don't want him running and taking hits. The last thing that they need is for him to get hurt in preseason for something that doesn't matter. What do you think about that play in particular and just the thought of him taking hits maybe even unnecessarily potentially that was interesting i mean i i could personally say that i wasn't you know it wasn't the most pleasant sight live seeing uh, a For quarterback sure. who isn't necessarily a you know he's not like he's it's not that he's immobile he's a mobile quarterback 100 percent, but he's not a rushing threat necessarily and to see him you know go for that in 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 that portion little you know not necessarily i agree I don't know if I'd like the play call as much, but there was the open route to Jennings, um, like you mentioned. Um, you know, maybe you, 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 you'd like to see him throw it away. I like the aggressiveness. I mean, it's nice to know that Brock's got that aggressive manner in him head, ahead of the, the, the regular season. But I don't think that's a play you necessarily want to see from Brock specifically going into, uh, you know, uh, in, in the preseason especially. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is he was able to get out of there nice and healthy. Like unscathed yeah, relatively, which is like the best thing ever. So that was, uh, that was, you know, it's funny because I really wanted to see him play. I'd put that out. I really want to see him play in this game. But then when I heard Trent Williams wasn't going to play, I was like, oh gosh, here we go. This is not what I want to see. I don't want to see more protecting the backside. They were able to get out of there. It looked good. It looked just like he did last year. And that's really all that matters. Okay. It's interesting, though, and I saw somebody make this comment. You've got this quote-unquote win-now team who hasn't been able to take a chance on Trey Lance for the last couple seasons, really, because they're trying to win a Super Bowl. But now they've got a rookie kicker, and this rookie kicker has been inconsistent, and I think I'm being nice when I say that. Missed a couple field goals last week. Dang near missed an extra point. This week, he did miss an extra point, and then the game winner was shaky. What are your thoughts on Moody? And real, just realistically, how long can they ride this out? Like, what do you need to, need to see from him in this final preseason game? And if he misses again, 
do you think it's time to potentially try to find a replacement or is that, are we way too early on that? This is a great topic. And Jake Moody is a third round pick. Normally when it comes to third round pick, do you absolutely want to give them the benefit of the doubt? And the 49ers have done that right in the past. I mean, Ambry Thomas is a guy who struggled in his first off season. Obviously you give him the benefit of the doubt. He ends up playing well at the end of the year, struggled last off season and they kept him. And now they're still keeping him and he's, you know, growing into it. Some players take more time. Cameron Latu is an example of that, you know, didn't have the best uh, start to training camp. Didn't really a lot of drop issues, a lot of inconsistencies and still inconsistent in this past game. But you saw some flashes from him as well. Jake Moody, on the other hand, however, kicker is not a position that you can afford to allow for development. Kicker is a very important position in the NFL in terms of week to week basis, because a good portion of your scoring comes from kickers, extra points, field goals. If you look at statistics and the players who score the most points uh, on a year-to-year basis, you'll see kickers pretty, pretty high up there compared to skill position players and even quarterbacks, you know? And so to me, this is how it is. Do you allow Jake Moody a little more benefit of the doubt compared to other kickers? Yes. If this was a regular kicker and a majority of the kickers in the NFL are undrafted, this was a regular kicker. They're cut after last week's performance, but it's a third round pick that you've got to, you know, um, you've got to take your time with. And the intriguing factor is that Moody has actually played well in the, in the, in practices. It's that he struggled a little bit in the games. And so to me, I think that right now the 49ers, what their strategy is, is they're very comfortable with saying Gonzalez, And I would be too. He is a solid, solid NFL kicker. They're not putting him on display. If Jake Moody struggles again for the third week, you put him on IR and you start saying Gonzalez week one until Moody can really get into it. That's that's it. The the, the you know the period where they can really truly uh, afford to wait that ends in the preseason. You can't get Moody out there if he's not ready week one and start losing games because your kicker can't make kicks in real life situations. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And a lot of people thought. When I was watching it live, I'm like, listen, this continues next week. This this kid's going to be cut or something because you can't afford to wait on a kicker. People are like, well, he's a rookie. You got to you gotta give him chances. No, kickers are very, very different. And they're a unique situation because kickers, <laughs> kickers are, the whole game is mental for them. It really is. And once they're in their own head, it's it's over. You had Marr who was, fantastic last year and then all of a sudden he gets in the playoffs starts missing kicks and you can't trust him and now he's not even on the cowboys anymore so you really he's have almost to be a, he careful. was on the broncos and he might get cut too I, that's what, yeah exactly so he went from this fantastic season to just losing it out of nowhere and this is the way kickers are so i, I agree with you i think if moody struggles again this week there's a very good chance he is either not on the roster or not playing week one and Zane Gonzalez is that kicker. They have to be very, very careful. One kick one way or another, especially early on in the season. Games are much closer. You're on the road against a a decent Pittsburgh team, a, a Pittsburgh team that usually tends to win that first game of the season. You cannot mess around three points or even an extra point might be the difference in that game. You have to make sure that you can trust Moody and right now he's making it very hard to do so. I do love that he was able to bounce back and make the game winner. I also love, I, I think in a normal game, 
they might have tried to just score a touchdown there or seen how close they can get. They purposefully kept it where it was to try to get Moody going and see if he can go out there and win that game and maybe turn around his psyche a little bit. But even that kick was very close to being missed. So I really hope he turns it around, but they they really cannot afford to wait on Moody at all. I understand he's a rookie. Kicker is much different than every other position in the NFL, unfortunately for him. No, 100%. And the other thing is, I'm not, I'm not trying to hate on the kid too much. I absolutely think he was a solid kicker in college, and I think that that could grow. But you point to things like, first of all, has he really proved much in the preseason? Any any of his made kicks have not been, uh, you know, they've been at 33 yards or uh, ahead, right? The field goals that he's kicked, one was a 30-yarder, one was a 19-yarder. The longest kick he's made is an extra point. That is That should tell you something. And when you talk about the acclimation of the NFL, kicker is one of the most unpredictable positions. That's why so many go undrafted, and that's why it was mind-blowing to me and likely you as well that he was drafted in the third round. Um, by the 49ers. And so he, he's got high expectations to come, uh, you know, to, to, to reach. And could he do it? Absolutely. He, like, like this comment says, he was reliable at Michigan. He could kick 59 yard field goals and things like that. He's got the leg for it, but the acclimation period, unfortunately, the 49ers can't just sit and wait. And really, frankly, any NFL team can't just sit and wait for a kicker to develop. So if, if he struggles again, Put him on IR. Just, you know, have him clutch his leg on his last kick. Put him on IR. And then um, <laughs> that's a joke. But, like, you know, bring Zane Gonzalez in, a proven kicker who's also done done well in practice as well. Yeah, most definitely. And the highest drafted kicker in the league last year was, I believe, a fourth rounder for the Cleveland yeah. Browns. And he was not very good last year. So, 75%. I mean, this does happen with rookies. Yeah, not not good at all. So, there's no guarantee. I know that he was fantastic at Michigan. We'll see. I, I just hope that he's able to turn it around because spending a third rounder on him, luckily, Latu was able to turn it around, but it, it was looking shaky there for a minute. It was like, man, are they really about to cut two third-round picks going into this thing? We'll we'll see how this thing plays out, but very, very interesting to say the least. Brother Bob says, Jake can't cut Moody and sign gold ASAP. That was the other thing for me, and it's funny because they actually talked about it on the telecast, but it's not just gold, but Mason Crosby, who's a vet in this league, kicking in bad weather in Green Bay for many, many years, very reliable, also a free agent, and I talked about that on draft day. I'm like, hold on a second. You didn't have to go get gold. You easily, you had Zane Gonzalez. You could have signed Mason Crosby or taken an undrafted kicker and then made them compete. I felt like that would have been very sufficient and they would have been fine. I mean, if Mason Crosby was your kicker this year, I think you're doing okay for yourself. You know what yeah. I mean? So I I don't know. The, the pick was something that I always questioned. Now I'm questioning it even more, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Adam K., for becoming a member. Appreciate you. All right. Let's talk about this corner situation. And I found this interesting because it did seem like really, I mean, going into the preseason, it really seemed like they had the corner position solidified. And we just assumed that, all right, well, listen, the nickel position is what it is. They brought in a guy from outside the organization. That's Wilkes' guy. He's going to start. And then it didn't look so good. 
And so they started Lenore in the slot this last week. They played Womack outside. They played Ambry Thomas outside. I think Ambry Thomas has been pretty good in the preseason. He had the one that he gave up. But I, outside of that, I think he's looked good. Womack looks good as well. Right. What do you think they should do at the cornerback position as far as starters go? Do you trust Oliver? Do you think Oliver has lost his job at this point? What would you do, and what do you think they're going to do? I think when we when it comes to the corners, Steve Wilkes talked today about a potential dual corner situation. Mm. What what he meant there is he they clearly believe Diambro Lenore is the best cover corner at the nickel for them. That's why he's getting moved to the inside. It's because of coverage. Isaiah Oliver, on the other hand, could be their guy against bigger opponents, against bigger tight ends, against teams that might be a little more imposing because mm. he can match the physicality level at the line of scrimmage for the 49ers. And I'm not saying Lenore can't as well. He's a bigger size corner, although he's a little smaller in terms of height. He's a bigger size corner as well. And so I think that, you know, you could try this dual, um, uh, dual nickel kind of role. Now, do I like that? Not necessarily. The reason being, I think the 49ers have a good bevy of talent at corner, and that's why I don't mind the situation that they're in. When you have too much talent, that's never a bad situation. And right now, I think the 49ers have a good portion of corners that they could give an option. Uh, you know, they could uh, look to try and uh, hold on to that 53-man roster. I think Amber Thomas starts. I think they trust him a little more than Samuel Womack, and I also think he's. This is the best situation for him. He is finally in a pure press man system where he, you know, he's working with Steve Wilkes. And I think that that's the best defense for him an uh, an area where he can truly be a press man corner and work physically at the line of scrimmage. That's what he did in college. And that's what he was expected to do in the NFL. I think that works well alongside Chabarius Ward. Diamond Lenore fits the physicality that they want in coverage in the nickel. You've got three solid nickel corner, uh, sorry, coverage corners there. Samuel Womack, he's your top backup. He's a solid guy. Oliver is there too, but we all like Deshaun Jameson. Deshaun Jameson seems to be a favorite of 49er fans, and also he looked good as a cover corner as well in the preseason. He's a guy who the, the organization seems very high on, both that inside and outside. He provides flexibility like Lenore does, and I think that that's valuable to keep. And then the other guy that I've got to bring up that I brought up last night is Quantrez Knight. I think Quantrez Knight has enjoyed a pretty solid preseason that has come with a pretty solid camp. And the one guy that I would pick to unseat Isaiah Oliver is Quantrez Knight. And here's the way that I look at it. If Isaiah Oliver doesn't earn a starting spot on this team, I don't see the value in keeping him. I think it's much more, uh, even with the, the the value in terms of money that he is owed. He's owed $2.9 million, so you split it 1.4, 1.4 over the next two years. I don't think it's worth it if he's not starting. I think you'd much rather give that spot to a younger guy who you believe has a higher ceiling down the line and also can help contribute right now. That to me is Quantrez Knight in the nickel, and I think that he's got a good shot at a 53-man roster spot, or at least he deserves a good shot at a 53-man roster spot on this team. What do they do with Luter? I mean, a lot of expectations for him coming into this whole thing. Obviously, he's been hurt with the ankle. Uh, ankle, right? Isn't that what it yeah. was? Yeah. Okay. So it's like a do they try to just take him out of the practice squad at this point? Or what do you think they do there? I think they operate in a similar pretense that they did with Kalia Davis last year. Mm. Put him on pup. He's saying he, he's still on pup. Allow him to, you know, fully get healthy, but also fully learn the grasp of this 49ers defense, understanding that some of the guys on this team might not be here, not next year, but the year after, you know, 
guys whose contracts are coming to an end. Ambry Thomas, he was a 2021 pick. He has four years on that deal. Diambro Lenore, a 2021 pick. He has four years on that deal. Who knows what the 49ers necessarily do in the future at the position, a position where apart from Trevarius Ward, you know, they, they paid one true corner. They haven't really looked to pay two corners um, at, at the position. So I think he's a good depth piece for the future. And he could take that sixth spot, you know, uh, next year or fifth or sixth spot, whatever it is next year. And I think that you keep him on pup, allow him to develop, allow him to work behind the scenes like they did with Kalia Davis. I like that. I think that's the smart move. And he's your guy next year. They, they always have a guy or two that comes out of nowhere, kind of redshirted the year prior and ends up killing it. He might already be that guy next year. I think Coletto might be a guy like that if they can sneak him out there, which they should be able to. They've they've got some players for sure. I actually threw in a bonus topic here as you were talking because I think it is important. Now, obviously, we're talking about a player here mm -hmm. from the Indianapolis Colts, but he requested a trade and has been granted permission to talk with teams. And the reason that I think it's important is anytime you have a very good player in this league that could be on the move, you have to start thinking of where they go. And depending on the team that he ends up with, it definitely can impact the 49ers and their chances of winning a Super Bowl. I think there's two teams in the NFC that actually might get involved in this that could make things interesting. One is the Philadelphia Eagles. They've got, yeah. what do they have? I wrote it down. They have, they have Swift, Rashad Penny. They've also got $13.3 in cap space. And the other one is this. The Dallas Cowboys have nearly $19 million in cap space. They no longer have Zeke. Yes, they've got Pollard, but is he really a bell cow? And it to me, that has a Dallas Cowboys written all over it for some reason. It's just something that I could see Jerry Jones doing. He'd be willing to give up the first round pick, pay a player like Jonathan Taylor, and the Colts obviously would love for him to go to the NFC. So those are two teams that stand out. Obviously, you've got AFC teams like the Ravens, Bills, Chiefs, what have you. If he ended up on one of those teams, it could be a problem possibly if you reach the Super Bowl. But those two NFC teams stand out to me as, as being a major problem if he ends up there. They have the money. They have the draft capital. Not saying that he does end up there, but I think it's something we do have to consider. Is there any teams or have you put any thought into this uh, of what this could look like if he ends up on a contender? Yeah, I mean, I, I've looked at it, right, because the Eagles were the first team that came to mind to me mm. when Jonathan Taylor was announced as an NFC team. And because, like you said, they they have you know they've got somewhat of a timeshare at uh, at running back and that's something that they 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 seem very comfortable in doing throughout regardless of you know the players but they had Miles Sanders there last year and Jonathan Taylor could be you know that final piece for them to truly win a Super Bowl if they want to go all in and we've seen Howie Roseman pull off trade after trade that benefits the Eagles like this Jonathan Taylor could be the next one Cowboys were also a team because I thought. You know, if they want a two-headed monster, they've got a new offensive coordinator in Brian Schottenheimer. Uh, Mike McCarthy has said they want to run the ball more this year. That could be a very logical place. I did see a report from uh, CBS's Josina Anderson, who said that they aren't immediately considering it because they don't think they can afford it. So uh, in, in terms of trade value, I would assume, it's very. I, I'm very intrigued to see if he, if he gets traded, what that contract would also look like because – Contracts for running backs haven't been very great recently, really. Uh, it's been on a downturn. That's another part. 
But this is certainly a domino that you have to look out for throughout the league. And those are the two targets that you could really see, you know, uh, uh, potentially at the at the top of the NFC. Another name that I was thinking of that, you know, the they might want to operate in a timeshare with a, the guy that they had last year is the Minnesota Vikings. It's an mm. offense similar to the San Francisco 49ers. And with that division being as it is right now, I don't know if there's a true clear contender in the NFC North. You know, you've got the Lions who are rising, but the Vikings won the division last year and could look to operate um, with the two-back set like they did with Cook and Alexander Madison last uh, last year. Now with Taylor in the fold as a long-term option. That could be their younger version of Dalvin Cook. Could be an option there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I did see that point by Clarzard. Fable also brings it back up. They do have to pay Parsons over in Dallas, but I mean, if you front load a contract, let's say for a Jonathan Taylor or Parsons, then you certainly could find your way around it. I'm not saying there's a guarantee, but anytime players like this come up, you have to start considering it. Where does he end up? And, and for me, it's always a concern. When Hopkins was out there, that was a concern. I was relieved when he signed with the Titans because I'm like, all right, right. that's not a direct threat, threat to San Francisco. So same thing now that Jonathan Taylor's available, and unlike some of these other backs that have become available, he's much younger. He's only going to be 24 this season. So you've got, you know, running backs usually start to fall off around 27, but you've got three or four years before that's even really a consideration. When healthy, he's one of the top backs in the league, and he's been very, very good. You get him in the right offense with the right team, and there's a lot of contenders that I could see maybe throwing their name in the hat. That does worry me a little bit that Jonathan Taylor is now out there to be had and many teams that he could go to that would really cause problems for the San Francisco 49ers. So pay attention to it. Anytime you got a, a superstar on the move or a very good player on the move, you always have to pay attention to it. Not from the standpoint that San Francisco is going to get them, but from the standpoint that a rival team that is also competing for a Super Bowl who might be in the way of the 49ers could get them and that would be a disaster. So definitely pay attention to that. Don't let that one fly under the radar. Adam K says, what are the chances of Lance landing in the QB2 spot? We're going to talk about it, Adam. We're going to talk about it. You, It's almost like you know what the show notes are, but we will get there. I promise you. All right, let's talk about the 49ers defense being a possible concern. Now, there's a lot of conversation this week about the defensive line being gashed in the running game for the second straight week. What is Wilkes doing? A lot of people are starting to question whether he's as good as some of the past coordinators that the 49ers have had. I'm just hearing a lot of concerns when it comes to the defense. Mind you, a defense that does not have Nick Bosa yet. Now there's no guarantee that he's going to play week one. Who knows what this contract situation looks like. And every day that goes by, that he's not on the team, I think it is more and more of a concern. However, I still expect that he will be on this team. Obviously, he makes a major difference. And, you know, this is Wilkes' first year on the team. Like, let's let's see it work out a little bit in the regular season before we panic. But do you think there's any reason for concern, or are you good to go with the defense? Now, we'll get to Steve Wilkes in a minute. About the mm -hmm. defense itself, I think the the only Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Only true narratives that you could really take out of the defense in the preseason in general is about the depth. Because you don't see teams playing their starters for four quarters. Hell, the 49ers starters did not play that much in this cast game. It's been primarily a mix of the backups. The only true position where you could see potential starters playing um, throughout is cornerback because they are trying out Ambry Thomas and Diameter Lenore in different packages on the inside and outside. And so you saw Ambry Thomas play a good amount both with the ones and the twos this past week. The defense, though, and its depth. Said this last week, and I will continue to affirm it. I think the defensive line is, uh, you know, the, it's it's a little more problematic in terms of depth than people realized at the beginning of the offseason. When it comes to the 49ers and their depth, a lot of people, you know, just normally assume we've got a strong group of depth. We've got a strong defensive line because that's been the case for the 49ers, right? Especially last year, because while they didn't have top end talent, apart from Nick Bosa and Ark Armstead, like they do with Javon Hargrave this year, they had depth pieces, Charles O'Menohue, um, Samson Ebucom, and they had a couple of different, you know, guys that they could trust. This year, I'm not sure the depth is as strong as it's been in past years. And it's both in the interior and the outside. T.Y. McGill showed out this week, had a sack, had a couple of pressures. I thought he looked good. But the other part is T.Y. McGill is a pass rush specialist. He's not a great run defender. And so are the remainder of the 49ers defensive uh, tackles in terms of depth. At edge, we're considerably weaker compared to past years in terms of depth. You don't have the two proven high-end options in Ebucom and Omanahue anymore. You've got an unproven option in Drake Jackson, who we haven't seen much in the preseason, and then a couple of veterans, Cleveland Farrell, Austin Bryant, you know, and Kerry Hyder, I guess you can throw in there, Robert Beal, who we haven't seen much of or who haven't proven too much in the NFL thus far. I think the depth at defensive line is something to question, but I also think the 49ers understood this because they went out and they tried to get a three-down player, and they got that in Javon Hargrave because they understand that they want to, uh, you know, probably play with their top four guys more often than not, like they did in nineteen, compared to like they did last year. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, so he's saying that he heard from Grant that Hargrave's not looking in game shape, always having his hands on his waist. I did notice that in the game. He talked about it happening in practice as well. That's definitely interesting. Yeah, the the depth is is not necessarily as good as it's been. Here's what I will say, though, and, and this is still something that is in the 49ers' back pocket that I think a lot of us are forgetting. At some point, assuming Bosa signs, they're going to have quite a bit of free money that they can spend. Do not be surprised if the 49ers make a splash trade or signing before the trade deadline because they have the money get in there play a few games assess this team see what it's actually like and if you feel like you're weak on defensive line or anywhere else go make a move there's always teams that are willing to deal they've got their bevy of draft picks back in their back pocket they have the free money i think the 49ers are going to be buyers this year if things are looking at all shaky not just on the defensive line. It could be in the secondary, offensive, anywhere. I think the 49ers are probably going to be buyers during this trade deadline. So do not be surprised if they add more talent still to this team 
because they have all the assets to get it done. So I, I wouldn't freak out yet. Also, not having Bosa, that makes things interesting. What about the Wilkes aspect of things, though, Rohan? Are, what are your thoughts there? Uh, I know that there was a lot to be made about him coaching from the booth. That was a topic of conversation from you when we were at practice. I remember you were saying, man, you know, as, as hands-on as Wilkes is in these practices, I'm actually surprised that he's deciding to coach from the booth. Is that really the right move? And that's kind of stuck in my head for the last few weeks since you've had that right. conversation with me. And now you're seeing that maybe things aren't clicking the way that they should. Just overall, do you have any concerns with Steve Wilkes at all? Uh, and before I get to that, I do want to say one thing. I actually really like the point you brought up about don't worry yet, because I honestly think I spoke about this with Larry Kruger on Friday. I mm. think this is the day or not the day, the year the 49ers look to reload. Look, go back. 2019 was the top heavy year where the 49ers went top heavy and it, you saw some of those guys, you know, tear down in the, in the end, in the, in the Super Bowl and things like that. But still, it wasn't too big of a cause for concern. 2020 though, what did they do? Deadline. They traded for Jordan Willis. 2021, what did they do? Deadline. They traded for Charles O'Menehue. 2021 as well, I believe they signed Samson Ebucom to a two-year deal. The point being, they've got their draft picks back, but they're also in a series where they reloaded and then cycled through those players. It's time to reload again. And the 49ers don't mind offloading fifth, sixth, or seventh round picks, understanding they get them again via the compensatory formula. The 49ers have more compensatory form, uh, picks that they than they can actually get because of the players that they've offloaded in free agency. So if they trade a guy, well, guess what? Another guy steps into the compensatory formula. They don't really lose a pick. So that's the way that it's going to be. And I think that this could definitely be the year for reload and get some more intriguing guys that could be pieces on cheap deals for the next one to two years. Yeah, most definitely. So no, just to be clear, though, uh, what about the Wilkes side of thing? No worries? Yeah. What are your Wilkes, though, I think that there is, 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 and isn't, but I only can really determine this once the regular season starts. My biggest concern with Wilkes is the amount that he'll end up blitzing. That's the question that I truly have, because I think that that is what's going to change the outlook of this team. If Wilkes blitzes at a much higher rate than the 49ers defense has done in the past, I think the 49ers might see more extremes, really solid performances, but also the real big coverage busts or things like that that might make their defense a little more volatile than you'd want an elite-level defense to be. I think if the Wilkes, though, blitzes at a similar rate as the 49ers did in the past, maybe a little bit more understanding his comfortability with them and the understanding that he has in calling them, um, I think the 49ers will be just fine. I'm not as concerned about Wilkes. I did tweet one thing that has been my lone critique of Wilkes this offseason, and that's just been his you know, his personnel. Um, he, he handpicked Miles Hartsfeld who wasn't expected to make the roster, but hasn't looked good. He also handpicked Isaiah Oliver, who was disappointed since essentially being anointed the starter much earlier in the offseason. So that's been my lone gripe. As for in-game uh, you know, occurrences, I'm not too concerned yet with Steve Wilkes. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, my biggest thing that I want to see from the defense early on is, and people are talking about it in the chat, sometimes you do start a little bit slow, and that was kind of the case for the other coordinators. I just want to see a disciplined team week one. Not necessarily the most dominant defense in the world. I just want them to be disciplined. If you remember last year, it was the discipline that was the issue. That's really why they lost that game to Chicago. They just didn't have the discipline. They kept 
On third downs, they gave up multiple penalties, dropped interceptions. There was so much that was going on defensively that really kind of lost the game for them. So I want to see a disciplined team week one. That is the biggest thing that I care about. And I still have a lot of confidence in Wilkes. I was a big, big proponent of him being the coordinator that was chosen. I was happy when he was reached out to and had a Panthers content creator on here talking about the whole situation. So I'm certainly not giving up on things before it even starts. And again, I don't know about you, but I think it's pretty important when you don't have the best player in the world on defense. I mean, that's a game changer. So I think just getting Bosa back will be significant as well. I'm not worried about Wilkes and his coaching ability. I think he's a very, very good coach. and I'm excited to see what it looks like maybe week four, five, and six going forward through the rest of the season. No, I agree. All right, let's talk about this. I, uh, I made a video on this today. And you are very measured in your takes, Rohan, and that's why I appreciate you. I definitely, as a fan, get very emotional <laughs> sometimes when I start to break things down and I want to see the 49ers do well. And if I really believe in a take or a thought, like it's hard to get me off of that, I need to know the logic behind this potential Sam Darnold at QB2. Here's the way that I see things. You and I saw it in practice. Sam Darnold was not even close to what Trey Lance was when it came to move the ball period. That was a big separator and why I had Trey Lance being the better quarterback out of the two in the five days I was there. Then you move on to third down in the preseason. Trey Lance has been much better. He's four of five, 47 yards and a 105 rating. Sam Darnold is two of five for just 24 yards and a QB rating of 15.8. The offense has been scoring with Trey Lance. I, I know that it's, you know, we had the lucky touchdown in game one, what have you, but the offense has been putting up some points, not so much with Sam Darnold for one reason or another. I don't think if if we just look at this whole offseason, practice preseason, everything included, I don't think that Sam Darnold's been the better quarterback. And then you throw in the fact that Sam Darnold is the season player. You would expect him to look better. But reality is he's been a turnover machine in college. He was a turnover machine in his 55 starts. He hasn't been better in the preseason or practice. Why in the hell are the 49ers presumably, if you listen to what you know, a lot of these pundits are saying, and, and even some, a lot of content creators are saying, oh, it's a done deal. You know, Sam Darnold solidified quarterback number two. Do you believe that that's the case? And more importantly, we can't necessarily predict what Kyle Shanahan's going to do, but do you think that should be the case? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that this is definitely a fluid topic. And my number one, honestly, my number one honest take is it does not matter who you believe is quarterback two. It does not matter who you think no, it will no, it be doesn't. in yeah, week yeah. one. Why? Because the 49ers are not going to publicly announce who their top quarterback on the bench is until that quarterback has to get in the game. By NFL rules, they are not obligated to name a second quarterback on the depth chart in terms of order. They can say whatever they want as the backups. I'm sure a lot of people will freak out when the week one depth chart comes out, but it does not matter because they – Whatever they say, they might even put the or out again. They they're not going to tell you who the we who the backup quarterback is. So as much as we have this conversation, that answer will truly not be known 
regardless of whether national pundits say it or not, regardless of whether analysts say it or not, until one of those quarterbacks comes into the game, which obviously you pray doesn't happen because that means an injury to Brock Purdy. Now, on the topic itself about Sam Darnold and Trey Lance, what do the 49ers see in Sam Darnold? I think it is more so, while it hasn't been, like, like we mentioned in camp, Lance definitely had the highest. He had the highest of highs of quarterbacks. He also had some of the lowest of lows of quarterbacks, at least in the days that I watched. What was Darnold, although he did have some lows as well, he was consistent. That's the that's the moniker used about Sam Darnold uh, like throughout. And while, you know, while it, it, you can even make an argument against that, I think that that's kind of what a lot of people are pointing to. Somewhat of a level of consistency. And you see even in Sam uh, in Trey Lance's preseason performances, a slow start mixed in with strong performances as he continues to go along. What does that tell me? That tells me a quarterback who is still improving. He's a guy who's still learning the game, still improving, and he himself said it. I love every rep because every rep I take, I get better. That's what that's the that's the process of every rep. Now, Sam Darnold, the thing that he provides is experience and the understanding uh, of being an NFL quarterback. And I think when you talk about the backups, if I'm at least trying to justify why Sam Darnold will be QB2 over Trey Lance, it's because the 49ers believe that that experience is extremely important to determining one's floor. And they truly don't know what they have in Trey Lance and his floor to the point where they're going to resort to the option they believe will be either more consistent or the more safer option come when some one guy is going to be the backup quarterback. Now, of course, we can agree, or sorry, we can argue the definition of what consistent, safer, and all is in regards to Sam Darnold and Trey Lance, which I'm sure, like you pointed out with your receipts and your statistics, that could be the case. However, I think that that's, at least if you're looking in the organizational mindset of why you would argue Sam Trey Lance uh, is behind Sam Darnold in the order, that could probably be the reasoning behind it. Now, as for my personal belief, well, actually, I'll let you I'll let you think about that before I share my personal belief. Yeah, I, I listen, I <laughs> I definitely think that the 49ers are probably leaning towards Sam Darnold for whatever reason. And I don't agree with it at all. I think I've laid out all the points as to why I don't agree with it. Experience just because you have experience doesn't mean it's a good experience. Right. I mean, like I'm not a better driver than somebody that's a new driver. If every time I get into a car, I crash it. You know what I mean? So I, I just, I don't understand it. And then again, if it's even close, it, let's say somebody's watching these games. I don't know how you could come away with this thought, but let's say somebody's watching this and saying Sam Darnold looks better than Trey Lance. Okay. How much better for a guy that started as many games as he has? Is it clearly better? Definitely can't make that argument. He hasn't been clearly better in these practices. I don't think anybody can make that argument. So knowing the upside, knowing what you spent on Trey Lance, knowing how close it is, I just don't understand the logic there. But the 49ers, when it comes to quarterbacks, have been very illogical. So I will not be surprised at all if that's the route that they take. What are your personal opinions on what you would do and why would you do it the way that you're about to say. Right. And real quick, one other thing, I think a lot of people, when we point to Trey Lance and Sam Donald, the number one reason for Trey Lance, not only as the backup, but also the starting quarterback is the reason so many were excited is not because what you'd have Trey Lance week one. It's because 
as you see, Lance grows with every single rep. So by the time you reach week 18 and you see what Trey Lance has, you have a strong enough team to where you can rely on what Trey Lance can provide you in week 18 and come the playoffs for you to have a successful playoff career and probably elevate your ceiling. However, in the backup realm, I think the, the argument is a little different. I think it's you can't wait till week 18 because if you're on your backup, you're trying to get through the season with as many wins as possible through the backbones of the other players on the team. That's where I think it is. But as for my personal take, I'll start with what I believe should happen this next preseason game. Released it in my recent article, I honestly think they should give all of the reps to Trey Lance behind Brock Purdy. I don't think you need to see any more of Sam Darnold in the preseason. And that's not to mean he's good. He's been elitely good or elitely, like, poorly, really poorly bad. No. Jesse pointed out the experience. 55 starts, but more importantly, he now has experience in a 49ers uniform. That mixed with his overall NFL experience should give you a good enough sentiment of what you think of Sam Darnold going into the season. Trey Lance, on the other hand, you don't know at all what to think of him. Because you look at his last week performance, you might think he... He, he was one of the, you know, he, he wasn't a quarterback on the uptrend. He was probably on the downtrend. You look at this week, though, where he starts off slow with the interception, but then can, uh, compiles three consecutive scoring drives. You're like, wow, this is a quarterback you can get behind. His potential is there. You want to see him do that and have the biggest potential scope that he can have before the season starts. Because you're not playing him three quarters unless he's the starter. Unless, you know, in any any game in the pre in the, in the season, as long as Brock Purdy's there. And so right now, this is the last option that you have to truly see what you have out of Trey Lance and how his development has gone week in and week out, because that's the point of the offseason. That's what I personally believe. As for QB2, I think when it comes to it right now, I would probably lean towards Trey Lance solely based on what I've seen this offseason. I think Lance has compiled more overall in terms of his overall amount of you know his overall body of work and i think that the 49ers are more confident in what they or at least they should be more confident in what they've seen understanding the number one thing which is processing i don't believe darnold is a good like i don't think he's a fast processor now lance has definitely shown me areas where he needs to improve with that processing he's got to let it rip on some of those throws especially in week one of the preseason i thought that that was clearly evidently there but I think that that has slowly started to improve as you see him get more reps. And I think that especially if my plan of having him play the entirety of this next game behind Brock Purdy, I think that you can really start to uh, see that integrated more and more to where you're more comfortable with this processing. And that is the clear indicator of him over Sam Darnold, if any, is there. I agree that's what they should do, but you know as well as I do, it's probably going to look a lot like it did last year with Purdy and Sudfeld, where they're going to play Purdy and the starters. Then they are going to alternate Sam and Trey. If they really think it's close, you're going to see, you know, maybe Trey comes in, plays a series, then Sam, and then back and forth, really trying to figure this thing out. I definitely like your approach because we we do. We have a sense of what Sam Darnold is. We've seen him in a Niner uniform now. We've got the 55 starts. We get it. Let's see if Trey, going into his third game, can continue to make these strides. I mean, this is the first time ever we're, we're about to get three games in a row where he's played any sort of football in the NFL preseason or not. These reps matter. We're seeing the growth almost snap by snap. He's talking about his growth and being comfortable snap by snap. Every single snap matters. So I'm curious to see what they actually do. 
I have a feeling it's not going to go at all the way that we both would like it to, though. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that the 49ers are different than other organizations. You'll see other organizations try and get that young quarterback reps. Hell, we saw it in week one. The, the Las Vegas Raiders have Brian Hoyer on their on their staff. He very well could be their number two quarterback or the guy they're most comfortable with because that's Josh McDaniels' guy. You know, that's his top backup quarterback from with the Patriots. But they didn't give Brian Hoyer snaps. Why? Because they already know what Brian Hoyer can do. And again, it's a little different. Brian Hoyer's played in the system before, but it is a new team. You know, it's new players, but he's not getting reps with those new players. Instead, it's Aiden O'Connell, a young player who you don't know exactly how his game truly translates to the NFL, similar to Trey Lance. And I think that you can create some of these, you know, some of these, um, type of references all across the NFL. That's something that I personally would like to see. And I, I don't think it happens. I do think that you'll see something similar to week one where you'll see Purdy first come. I think Lance will likely get two quarters and then Donald finishes it off with the final quarter. But that's something that I would like to see just because you understand or you should at least understand now what you have in Donald based on all of his practice film and based on the experience he's had both in a Niner uniform and outside. Yeah, most definitely. Suspiciously Specific has become a member. I appreciate that. I like that. I really like that name a lot, actually. Mike Monahan says, Kyle's evaluating Trey just like JT O'Sullivan is. I, I want to talk about JT and his breakdown. First of all, JT's been on the channel. Really respect the hell out of him. Love watching his breakdowns. Look forward to them. He's very smart. I was not necessarily the biggest fan of him omitting arguably the best throw that Trey had in that game. I thought that was a little interesting. I mean, he's willing to break down almost every throw that he made. Why not break down arguably the best throw that he had? I, I thought that was interesting. Also, if Kyle's evaluating him the way that JT is, is he evaluating his own play calls the way that JT is? Because JT is very hard on Kyle Shanahan on some of these. He talked about it in the Raiders game last week where it was the play that Trey Lance broke the pocket, ended up finding Sneed cross-body throw, one of the better throws that he made. And he's like, Kyle Shanahan, what is Kyle Shanahan doing here? He's like, these play calls won't work in high school. Why is he calling them? And then again, he did it in his film breakdown yesterday where he's like, we're you're running one-man routes and expecting your quarterback to be able to just make things happen. What is this offense that I'm watching? So if Kyle is evaluating Trey that way, and I think he's probably evaluating him similarly, I hope he's evaluating the offense and the potential options as well the way that JT is because JT is letting him have it a little bit when it comes to that. Now, I, I, I can't comment too much. I haven't actually watched either of his film breakdowns. I've just mm -hmm. heard that um, some view it a little more negatively than they viewed past JT ones. I've seen a few of his before on the 49ers. Um, seems like he might be a little more critical than he has been in the past. Not sure the context, so I'll take your word for it for now. Yeah, and, and as far as JT goes, I, I think for the most part, JT is very fair. I really, a lot of people made a big deal about the way, like some of the descriptive words he used on some of the throws, whatever. I don't think that's that serious, but I, I did find it definitely interesting that he omitted the best throw. I thought the best throw that Trey Lance made in that game. That was just me personally. Whatever. It is what it is. Uh, I think that Trey Lance played 
pretty damn well this last week. So it is what it is. Sean says, if the defense underperforms and they start two and six and the O takes a step back, do they blow this aging and expensive team up and give the team to Lance? Seems like midseason pivot might be prudent. Okay, well, this is a very interesting scenario. I don't think it's yeah. one that we've thought about a lot. I think if this team doesn't make the playoffs for whatever reason, they they do blow it up for the most part. I would expect that guys like Armstead, I already don't think that Armstead, Juszczyk, Jennings, those types of guys are going to be back. I think in that instance, Kittle would probably be gone as well. There would be a lot of movement on this team and potentially the coaching staff as well, maybe even in the front office. So I, I personally don't see that happening, uh, but if it does happen, yeah, I would think there would be a lot of movement and they would probably say that this window as is, is closed. Maybe they would throw in Trey to evaluate him depending on how Purdy's doing. I'm not quite sure, but I, I don't see it happening, Sean, but we'll see. What do you, what do you think, Rohan? I don't think that either of the scenarios happen. I don't think they missed the playoffs. I think their division is theirs for the taking. And it, again, if they miss the playoffs, it's likely due to a flurry of injuries like we saw in 2020. And so if that's the case where, you know, quarterbacks go down, where skill position players go down, you don't have a significant a core or amount of your core, then that's that's something that you clearly have to evaluate. And I do think that if injuries occur, especially to players that you're on the fence about, George Kittle being one of them, because you can cut him and save about 50% of the 19 million he's owed last, uh, next year, you know, that those might be some decisions you have to make, but I don't think they go two and six. If they do though, if the, uh, if they're at two and six, I would imagine a quarterback change does occur for some, um, some level of, you know, urgency going into this end of the season, because there are a lot of heads that could be, you know, in, in jeopardy if the 49ers miss the playoffs. Yeah. I also think that, it would be smart, even if you feel like Brock Purdy is your guy, if you're two and six and you don't think you're gonna make the playoffs, like showcase Trey Lance and make sure that make sure that Purdy is the guy. Maybe you figure out Trey's the guy, or maybe you can prop up Trey's trade value and get him off in the offseason. I don't know. But I think at two and six, you would likely see a quarterback change, whether it's the quarterback's fault or not. Usually the quarterback takes the heat. So I, I think you would see a change at that point. I really do. I agree. I also think, Freaky, that the Seahawks are... That's a funny picture, by the way. I, I also do think the Seahawks are much, much better than maybe a lot of us are giving them credit for. I think they're going to split with the 49ers, and I think they're an interesting team if the 49ers play them a third time this year. And the reason I say that is if they meet in the playoffs, they will have played Brock Purdy a total of five times. That would be interesting because if anybody would have the book on Brock Purdy, it would be them. So I, I think that game would be a lot of fun to see in the playoffs for sure. We'll see. Good take. All right, y'all. That's it. We were in and out. Quick one under an hour. Rohan, appreciate you joining me on a last second show. Fitting, considering that is the name of the channel. Appreciate you. Have a good rest of your week. I will be back tomorrow with Sunil. Peace. Amen. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.